seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Mile 108 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis and Phil here with you, excited to be back, and we're going to discuss individualization in training today. The this way, interesting, yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting for you, Phil, because you are our case study. Oh, this episode is all about me. Yes, finally overdue, right? <laughs> 108 episodes. <laughs> it's about time. Phil recently asked me for a second set of eyes on his training. We're starting that this week, and so we thought perfect timing to take his training as a case study of how you can individualize the variables you put into your training to create the most successful environment possible. At the end of the coming week, Phil is going to test that fitness at <laughs> the Greenville Half Marathon. It'll be a good... Uh, oh, it'll be a good benchmark yeah, test. Yeah, a little baseline, yeah. right? And we have an episode from last year, Mile 74... If you are running the race next week and interested in looking at some course strategy and specifics to the course layout, it has changed just slightly again this year with the construction at Unity Park, but there is also a preview video. I was going to say there's a YouTube video, right? Yes, from last year's course, Seconds Flat by Run-In on YouTube. The bulk of that yeah. will be the same this year, so you can get a taste of the Greenville Half Course. And Phil, I'd like to give you a taste of something oh, right now. Oh my goodness. A treat, a surprise, What's... an early birthday present. I'm excited. From our friends oh. at Do South Coffee. Man, there's nothing better. What a wonderful birthday present. Here we go. Oh. From our friends, we are presenting to Phil a freshly That looks delicious. Roasted. Thank you. It, oh, it sounds tasty. Yes. It smells uh, good. Batch of their best-selling wax wing coffee blend. We'll put that right there for the mic so everybody can see it back home. That's right. <laughs> the wax wing coffee, which is their number one seller. Phil, are you a coffee before you get out to run guy in the morning? I'm a coffee any time of day guy. Coffee any time of day. Yeah, I know a lot of folks yeah. are. Two cups before I do anything. Okay, before you can function at <laughs> yeah. all. How many cups before you come onto the podcast? Oh, we're probably working on four or five today. That's good. Yeah. You're going to need it. Buckle in. <laughs> if you want to save time and sleep in a little longer before your next run, which I think we all do. That'd be nice. Why not skip the brewing, flip on the hot water, and then add that hot water to a due south steeped packet and go? My, the, my alarm every morning is the ding of the coffee pot when it's ready to go. It well, it's time to start the day. What you can do here is these are single serve uh, nitrogen flushed packs that look like a bag of tea. Ooh. You drop your hot water in the packet. You can go get prepped for your run in this time. And bam. Five minutes, you have a single serving, ready to roll, do South coffee. Sounds tasty. It is available in the Wax Wing blend, their okay. most popular. Wax Wing is a 50 50 blend of their most comforting and most adventurous 
coffee seeds. Like my training's going to be. Well, there is a tie in <laughs> there. So it's your familiar base of sweetness layered with hints of fruity and berry flavors. What flavors you got in that one, Phil? Oh, let's see. We got Baker's chocolate, strawberry, and creamy. Oh, okay. That's, That's a nice blend. Sounds pretty good. Those are 50% Brazilian beans and 50% Ethiopian. So it's like the maybe highly Gebrselassie meets Ronaldo da Costa of ah. marathoning when it comes to <laughs> if they had a baby in the world of coffee, it would be wax. It would coffee. be wax swing. That is exactly right. And so, yeah, it, that 50-50 blend, it's, you know, you, you lay down the base, yeah. you do that training, all that threshold uh-huh. curve stuff we talked about in the last couple yep. episodes and then as we get to the peaking competition season yeah then we sprinkle in the <laughs> the hints of that which is fruity and berry flavored well thanks to those guys absolutely they were thinking of you and and know that you'll enjoy that as always you can check out do south at their hampton station location or online at dosouthcoffee.com and use the code SFPOD, S-F-P-O-D, for your discount at checkout. Phil, before we get into the big stuff, let's start with a track update because a lot is happening. Absolutely. Where are we starting? Well, I said to you last time, like, oh, indoor track's back and people are running fast. And it turned out to be the understatement of the (laughs) century. Uh, We'll go in perhaps somewhat chronological order and take you back a week to the Windy City Mile, the invite in Chicago actually hosted by the University of Wisconsin. That makes sense. I know. It was tape delayed onto YouTube. I wish we could have seen this stuff live, but there is good footage of this available on YouTube. It was a fast one. And, well, the highlight event was billed as an assault on the American indoor mile record, Bernard Lagat's record, and so the ex-Oregon Stars Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker, who they finished have a nice rivalry going on right one, now. two in that order, yeah. and they're close. Yep. Ed, Tier edged him out. Uh, he held him off. Well, what Tier's four zero against him, right? Yeah, we think of Cole Hawker as uh-huh. the Olympian. Well, he, he went to right? the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in third place was Michigan State star Morgan Beetlescomb in. 352. Don't want to give too much away from Windy City, but we got a good guest coming nice. to talk about the action there. So they fell just short at 350, a fraction of a second short. That same night at Boston, you had the women's 5,000 mm-hmm. meter indoor on the BU track. That was a hot one too. That is widely recognized as the fastest indoor track for distance racing as a combination of the competition that's there and the track itself. I can think of nothing more painful than running 5,000 meters indoors. Yeah, it's a lot lot of laps. laps. (laughs) Well, I could make it more painful than Boston. I could put you on a flat track. Oh, that's true. Right? So uh, that's a lot of spins. A 200 meter flat track 25 times around is not my idea of fun. But uh, in the women's race, we had new American and Canadian 5k records. And then the next day in the men's race, it felt like Every record fell. Yeah. Well, the women's race was a fast one because what Elise Cranny was yes. getting out ahead a little bit, yep. and then uh, what, Gabriella Stafford had a nice long finishing kick to to run her down. Yes, and I'd have to look back at the splits, but uh, she had just run a really fast three k. And I believe she closed the last three k of this five k record faster. faster than that. Yeah. Than that. yeah. <laughs> Men's race, it's Grant Fisher in 1253. 
408 average pace. These are on YouTube as well. The beauty of what Grant Fisher did is when the Pacers dropped, they were on 1307 pace. They had set the target at 13.0 and had faded just a little bit off of it, but they had set him up close enough with a a hard finish. And then he clicked a bunch of 59s and (laughs) went to 12.53 for a new American indoor 5,000 meter record. When his last mile was, what, 3.58? Yeah, that's crazy, that's right? Fast, yeah. yeah, and he was separating, but you had behind him Mohamed with a yep. new Canadian, Canadian record. record. Uh, you had Mark Scott, had the Euro record in yeah. that race. Yeah, um, Hillary Borge right there too. which yes. would have been the American record. Well, that's what I was going to say. To put this in context, the previous American record, Galen Rupp runs thirteen oh one at Boston. Yep. I may actually respect Rupp's number even more after watching this because he didn't have well one perhaps the super shoes yeah. are a factor. But just the incredible depth of competition. Right. Woody Kincaid wins Heat 2 the B-heat, yeah. in 1305. Uh-huh. Right? Second but, fastest American time at that point. <laughs> yes, at that time. <laughs> and then, boom, here they go. Yeah. And so the entire top 10 of American men's 5,000s gets rewritten over the course of an hour last Saturday evening in Boston. Check out those races on YouTube. FlowTrack has posted them now if you haven't seen them. The announcing on that 5000A heat is funny because it's kind of sleepy uh-huh. through the first yeah, half. Yeah. It's okay, we're on this pace. These guys are in it. And then over the last about 400 meters, the man just loses his mind. <laughs> I think he screams out with like 50 to go, Grant Fisher, American hero at the top (laughs) of his lung. Like you don't even know what kind of time we're in. It's just this guy's, he's a hero now. It's an incredible race, an incredible finish, an incredible sustained kick from Grant Fisher. That's a fifth place Olympic guy. We know he's, he's a stud, but it's fun to see someone with such expectation as a high school phenom. Yep continue to set good times but also to be a competitor yeah he's racing he's racing and winning on the biggest stage and then fast forward a few days and we go to france for the world athletics indoor tour and it's jacob ingebrigtsen in what is billed as a duel with samuel tafera and ingebrigtsen sets a new world indoor 1500 meter record in just over three minutes and 30 seconds What's the conversion there to the to the outdoor mile? Oh my gosh, that's like seventeen seconds. That's running. That's three forty seven ish. Okay, for a mile. Yeah. Uh, now he's run faster for fifteen hundred, but outdoor. Right. Right. He did this indoor. He is the epitome of the strength is speed yep. approach. And it's interesting, though, that that's a theme across the board with a lot of these top people we're looking at. We know that the Bowerman Group mm-hmm. does a lot of this. And they ran so well this weekend. They do a ton of the stuff that we went through in the past two episodes, yeah. but in the quantities and at the frequencies that are most appropriate for them. It's not truly individualized, as we'll talk about here, in the sense that they are doing this as a group right. and they're on a group schedule. But it is distilled down to a handful of folks doing what works for them. There's a little bit more of sink or swim approach with uh, Coach Schumacher at Bowerman than than I might have with you in your (laughs) training. And notoriously, it's been hard for some people to cut it early on there. 
clearly they're He's gotten results. They're, yeah, they're getting results. And while we mentioned the the Norwegian approach of the double threshold session on total threshold curve volume, uh, the stuff we talked about uh, last week that falls in between that second uh, zone barrier and first yep. zone barrier in that that middle. They're both doing a lot of volume yeah. there. That's especially this time of year. How about Phil? We move from those elite athletes to our shabby training from the past oh, that's week. A great Since idea. we're on the <laughs> we're on the theme of of elite training, that's we'll right. give you the opposite Let's talk here. Talk about how to run average. So, Phil, of course, the floor is yours first as the guest of honor oh. and uh, early birthday boy for something totally unimpressive. Yeah, relative to these guys. So let's get. We'll go. What Saturday to Saturday? Saturday to Saturday sounds great. We're recording on a Saturday, so let's take it through. Eight days, okay. I guess, of, of training. That yeah. works. Uh, go ahead, bud. So last Saturday was an easy hour, nothing special. And then Sunday was 15 miles with the first 10, just easy pace. And then four miles, well, it's supposed to be four miles, but I need to learn how to read a GPS watch. And ran 3.25 miles. That's more challenging than uh, some may think. It is. Um, now, what, what was the problem that you ended up with three and a quarter instead of four? I was doing loose math in my head and wasn't really paying attention. Oh, yeah. Kind of going on Temp- assumed landmarks. Tempo math is no good. No, it's that's right high there level with tempo calculus. tummy. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was done at, at a half marathon pace. And you mentioned I got the, the half coming up next Saturday. Yep. So that was the last kind of big. Bigger long run before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm out easy to recover. Monday was a zero day just for recovery. Sleeping after the Super Bowl. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. And then Tuesday was one of my favorite Aussie quarters. Yeah. Um, it's about six miles total uh, for the run, but three miles worth of work. Um, so that's we did that 400 meters at 10K effort. And then with a float, 200 meters at marathon effort. Kind of alternated. So- yeah, I would Back and forth. I'll, I'll interrupt for just a moment to say I, it's kind of a modified Aussie quarter. The traditional, what is often also called Deeks quarters, yep. we've mentioned here before. The 400 often is a little faster than what you do. It's more like a 5K pace, sometimes even 3K yeah. effort you'll see. And then the float 200 is at marathon or perhaps slightly slower. Yep. It does evolve though over the year, depending on what kind of session we're looking for. And for what you're doing, that alternation between 10 K and marathon probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it was a, you know, I thought of it, it's kind of a sustained threshold, sustained effort, but sprinkling in a little bit of recovery, but that was a little bit faster recovery. Mm-hmm. Wednesday was supposed to be. This is where I'm embarrassed. I, my coach, you know I shouldn't tell you this, but let's bear when, all. So here. Wednesday I had a little. I bit wasn't of, coaching you yet at that <laughs> point, Phil. Anything goes. <laughs> um, Wednesday was supposed to be an easy hour, uh, yeah. but it was a long day at work, and I got lazy. Mm. Uh, so I went home and made dinner and didn't do anything. And Thursday was kind of the same. Uh, oh, back to back. That's right. Oh, back Phil. to back recovery days. What have I agreed to? <laughs> Help me, Travis. Um, First point on our individualization discussion right here. Yeah. Recovery is not just important. It is a necessity to be at your best. But there is a very stark difference between recovering and, as you just said, being lazy. Right. And we all have to take stock of that. Be honest with ourselves. Most of us who are serious about our training don't have a lot of just, I'm being lazy days. Yeah. And I am not here to tell anyone uh, the answer is running more. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Yeah. Sometimes you're overtrained. 
but we can't use the I was just lazy line of reasoning to rationalize decisions in a solid training block yeah. with the outcomes we want. Well, and that goes into part of why I kind of ask you to help me is number one. You know, I'm not going to coddle you. Oh, no, that's right. But number one, you know, kind of organizing my training and how I've done it myself. I play around with some things here and there, but not necessarily as organized through a cycle as it could be. Mm-hmm. Number two, going back to the easy days, you know, it's so easy to get caught, at least in my case, like in the trap of we're just chasing mileage and trying to do as many as we yep. can, maybe throwing a workout here and there in the long run. But, you know, beyond that, let's build the weekly number um, and having some oversight of like that matters. Yes, but not to the that's not the most important thing. Yeah. Um, the other aspect is kind of having the permission to have a day off where a lot of times I, I typically run, you know, six, seven days a week, but often that seventh run is one of, you know, I'll, I'll throw in just an extra easy day just to pad the mileage rather than anything productive. So yeah. to, to have that almost permission of, no, this is going to, this is intentionally going to be an easy day mm-hmm. or an off day. But then also lastly is the, the accountability of, like the the run Wednesday, it's like, yeah, I'd have the time to go run. I don't really feel like it. And yeah, I can blow it off versus knowing that somebody's kind of invested in terms of what I'm doing. Yeah, I still probably don't want to get out the door, but there's that extra little nudge that's like, sometimes those runs end up being great runs. Yeah. So it's kind of, that kind of plays into why I think this is going to be a productive, productive thing. So back to the training week. Yeah, so we'll come back to more individualized yeah. yep. conversation in a minute, but um, go ahead with your on Friday now. So Friday was, oh, it's Friday. It's Parish Mountain. Yeah. You know where I am. There it is. Um, it was closed the Friday before. Yeah, what was that about? Were they paving or something? No, there was a fire going on oh, up there. Oh my, yeah. that's serious. Yeah, so we had our group. So you ran up anyway, I well, assume. Well, we, we tried to. Yeah. Now, we went around the first fire engine, went up about 100 yards or so, and when there were another four or five, we figured that we should probably just stay out of the way. So you didn't press it we at that did, point? No. Okay, you, weren't, you were not <laughs> one fire engine, scolded. No, one fire engine is like, ah, we can work our way around. We'll get yeah. out of their way. When there's four or five, we don't have any business there. I don't think that they understood no. just how much you run up that That's mountain. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Do we have any update? Is everyone okay? Do we know anything about this? Not officially. So I was talking to a friend of the show, Craig, this morning. Yeah. And um, because he rides it uh, a good bit. And he said that one of the houses up that first big turn to the left, um, you know, essentially burned burned down, which is terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. I hope everybody was okay. Um, I I had no idea. So we ran it this past Friday and we're kind of looking as we go up and you can't really, you couldn't tell anything. Couldn't see back in Um, there. But unfortunately, I think it it was pretty devastating. Wow. So then today was, uh, so today's Saturday. It was a longer run again. Uh, this was not quite as long, 11 miles. Uh, did this one right, though. The goal was two miles at half marathon pace. And I ran you counted to two. two miles. I yeah, did, yeah. Good. So, what, eight, eight miles easy to start, and then two miles at effort, and then a mile recovery. Okay. Um, so, kind of keeping things sharp. But, yes, that was the week. Okay, good. And we'll probably come back to that some as we talk about what might work for you as we move forward and what might yeah. work for others who are listening. Uh, last Saturday, I was in the the icy north Ooh. for the first part of this training block. So, the, or excuse me, first part of this past microcycle, we'll say, since it was eight days. So I had an icy long run with a group of guys. We put in, I ended up doing an hour and 50 minutes. So it wasn't super long because it was pretty controlled. It was like almost 16 miles. Doubled with the recovery on Sunday. Two easy runs that were both really good. Nice. I have noted here that they were super windy and cold, but 
Both were really good runs. Same thing happened the next day. I doubled again. So you'll see this a lot as we talk through our training. I do a lot of the approximately hour in the morning, approximately half half hour in the afternoon. So like uh, Monday was 65 minutes in the morning. I wrote cold with an exclamation point. (laughs) I remember I ran with like three or four guys and I remember saying it maybe about mile six that I could finally feel my fingers again. Nice. like. 12 then minus the wind chill off of that 4.3 miles and 3220 in the afternoon with some strides on the track on a pretty new surface of the track in in my uh, hometown so that's a nice street that that's fun yeah lightning fast i think i set a facility record oh yeah i came back out the next day on tuesday and went equally australian to you i went with uh, my much beloved monteghetti quarters oh that's Australian quarters. I just got confused. <laughs> Monteghetti Fartlek, excuse me. Uh, I covered a total of, it says 3.64 miles in 20 minutes. That's a 5.30 average. Nice. So Cycling averaging both the ons and offs for 20 minutes is 5.30. Went back out and just did an easy shakeout later in the day uh, on some soft surface. I don't know if I buy that Monteghetti Fartlek time. I rounded up even a little bit in the uh-huh. average time by a couple seconds because it went well. Nice. I felt really controlled. And frankly, I don't think I'm that fit. So I'm not, I you think there was, some, there was some GPS air going on there. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty confident. The following day, I, I did 10 easy, uh, some weights, and then swam in the evening. Came back. We're on Thursday now. Again, same kind of double. 65 minutes in the morning with strides on the turf, plus 35 minutes easy in the afternoon. Did a long, broken tempo yesterday. Nice. On that three-zone model, this is probably like middle to low half of the second zone, where I was maybe five-ish seconds faster than marathon effort. Okay. I did note here, it felt to me as the first somewhat humid, warmer morning early. I just, I could tell from the sweat and it ended up being a fantastic day. But when you've been running in 10 degrees and of course, just our winter before that. uh, So I did three, two and a half, two, one and a half and one miles. Nice. If we do the math, I don't know. I don't want you to do the math clearly based no. on what we've discussed. You're like, yeah, six miles. If I Close assume enough. that mine is right, I have that at 10 miles Okay. at that effort, but it was broken. Yeah, what was the recovery on that? Well, they were the same as the previous set. So if I did three miles, I took three minutes easy. Okay. If I did two miles, I took two minutes easy and so on and so forth. Just to break it up to keep it controlled. And I, I, part of that was about that weather. I just didn't yeah. want to overdo it. And I still feel like I gave it a little more effort than I wanted to. Not that it was like super hard, yeah. but I just, you know, I, I felt a little more taxed and maybe it was uh, a little more craving salt and water <laughs> afterward than I wanted to be. Well, because you got, what, two weeks until? Well, I got a race coming up, and I figured it was about time to do something longer. I've been doing, uh, other than the Monteghetti Fartlek, that's the only continuous thing at 20 minutes. I've been doing a lot of short intervals, like three-minute intervals, and I thought I need to go with something longer. I feel okay about where I put this. I, I have plenty of time to recover. What I will do on Monday will be my next session, and I'll go to, probably go to hills. I'll move, bump hills up so that I'm just doing something effort-based and something that's not going to beat me up to allow the appropriate recovery. This morning, I was out with you for the first part of that run until you put on the jets, and I was just recovering and, <laughs> and cruising around. I couldn't drag you so, into it. You were disciplined. I was. 
I was not disciplined after yesterday's session, though, with what I ate. Uh, Let me ask you this, Phil, as okay. an aside. The one guilty pleasure of eating, like, let's even put this in kind of a fast food category Ooh. that you might go to after a race or after a session. Yeah. Your favorite place. Favorite place, if. If I'm traveling, it's got to be somewhere dirty. local. You're getting yeah. dirty. No, it's pizza or burgers. Okay. Well, I went burgers. Yeah. That's my move. I have this soft spot, and I'm afraid to admit it, but I'm doing it. Okay. For Culver's. Interesting. I went to Culver's. Huh. I, I don't do this often. No. Got a burger, got a little strawberry shake, some french nice. fries, get that salt back in me. No wonder you felt so good this morning. Okay, now this is this is just a secret. I, nobody's listening, so I can tell you this. <laughs> this is this is private. I tell you what, I love to do okay. after a really hard session or a hard long run, especially in the summer when you're hot, yeah. and sweaty. You get showered off. You go to the Culver's. Okay, you get your order. I'll double up on that burger. You, you can't afraid okay. that double burger. I will go to the downtown airport because it's right around uh -huh. the block. So if you're not local, downtown airport is not the main airport in yeah. the area. It's like prop planes and that kind of stuff well, that take isn't off. Isn't there a good vegan buffet somewhere close Well, to I'll get into that okay. in just a moment. <laughs> Thank you. But I like to park on one side of the airport. You can watch the planes take off and you got the mountains in the background. Oh, nice. Especially like at sunset. Yeah. Sit there with your fast food. I, honestly, I don't eat fast food, but... For this, you okay. make an exception. I'm going to tell you the best place to park for this. There is a place. I believe you refer to this as a gentleman's club. Ah. I think it's, uh, it is called the Trophy Club. <laughs> <laughs> and my understanding is a lot of the finer uh, businessmen, the, the, the elite yeah, yeah. of the upstate are there. It is Greenville's leaders. Yes. And our future. Yes. It is beloved by friend of the show, Dino. <laughs> Dean, I think this might be paraphrasing from his Yelp review. I believe he called it... Uh, now, let me see if I can remember what I read online. I think he said, classy, tasteful, and one heck of a vegan buffet. <laughs> My wife and I can't wait to go back. Well, it always seems busy when we're running hills around there, like 8 o'clock in the morning. It, that's strange. Yeah. Now, the reason I mentioned it is they have the best parking lot. For the angle to watch the planes <laughs> out over the mountain. So I'll admit, I've parked there. That's a nice there. piece of real estate. I've never been inside. Okay. Dean's told me things about the inside, yeah. but I've never been in there. I've parked there for 45 minutes before. And just hung out in the parking lot. There's yeah, probably some people who think I'm doing some pretty weird yeah. stuff. But I'm listen, I'm just eating burgers and watching the planes take <laughs> off. That's a country song that I'm going to write uh, also. Yes. Nice. Uh, whew. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I individualize. That's a good way to finish a workout. It, that's what makes my training go. I am <laughs> I am racing in two plus weeks. You are racing in one Next week. week yeah. For both of us, these are not necessarily target events. I won't speak for you. In my case, it's something I'm excited for. It's a race I enjoy. Yeah. But this is a training cycle that has just gotten kick-started again here for about two months. It's gone really well. Other than feeling like I expended a little too much effort yesterday yeah, yeah. on the workout. Otherwise, and for you, this is a stepping stone on the way to a marathon. Yeah, so, so it's kind of, things are feeling good. I've had a good winter of training. And it's kind of a, a benchmark to see what we might be thinking of for a marathon. I think it's like 12 weeks yeah. down the road. So for context, Phil and I have not talked a lot about what his training is going to look like. Yeah. I've asked just a couple simple questions to give me some direction the, the first is his goal set. 
Because ultimately, as you individualize your training, we need to have that rooted in your goals. Yeah. It all starts there. And I think there are two places that are the font for any good individualized training. First is the goal set, which for you, Phil, what are we prioritizing? I believe I read this as number one is you want to qualify for and run the Boston Marathon. Yes. Yep. Accurate? Yeah. I think that's okay. fair. And what I love about this, go back to our stuff on goal setting, is it's tangible, it's specific, and it's achievable. Yeah. You did not tell me that you want to go out and run an Olympic trials qualifier. You it's put, a reach, though. It's it's a reach. At only, least for this cycle. Maybe yes, not. that's right. That's yeah. what I was just going to say. For this cycle, only because you don't have the past experience to suggest you're like right on the precipice. Right. But you and I both know the body of work over years – your understanding of the sport and quality efforts you've stacked over time suggests that at the marathon distance, you are better than the previous times right. might indicate. Right. Well, and I think that's part of this as well is that, you know, I've run, I don't know, six marathons or so. And I, I wouldn't even really say any of them have been disciplined in terms mm-hmm. of like the race, the race strategy approach. Ego is a big thing. And a couple of them have been like, oh, let's put it on a target pace for Boston and see what happens, happens. which ends ugly. So I think that's one thing that, you know, down the road will be helpful to have your experience of, you know, here's, here's what we really should honestly target versus let's just throw a number at the wall and see what happens kind of thing. Yeah. So to some degree you are what the number says you are. Yeah. And it has to be a guidepost because it is the best number you've put up, but we know it's not the only guidepost. And in your case, it's not like it was a blip of way better than you thought you could do. Right. It was, yes, what I've done as a PR at this distance is very achievable and I can do better. And that brings me to then the second piece of this. The, The second key in basing your individualized training to go with your goals is your past training. That is where we find where the most evidence exists for what works or doesn't work for you, Phil, and for everyone else out there. It's important to note because we spend so much time talking about what elites might do, what the studies might show. The average of the general population is a data point. It provides a compass with rough direction, but it doesn't dictate your training. So we're saying don't interpolate everything from the general population studies right? or particularly from just what you see posted by some people on Strava. Anecdote matters here. This is the place in running where anecdote matters and it may not in other areas. We can think of examples of the person who does crazy, ridiculous, hard workouts and runs well or barely works out and runs well. Those don't apply. But your anecdote of your running life experience can be significant. Your greatest guide then is your past training. So I'm going to just apply what I've found for me over years have been some of the keys to taking what might be generally successful and tinkering. One, consistent volume. You could probably say that for everyone, but for me, probably more volume than most I've responded to. So in terms of what you're saying is in, in your case, your fitness has responded well to just more volume. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're not things that I would always do, but 
I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, Boston gets canceled. I was scheduled to go there. Races were clearly canceled for the indefinite future. I recalibrated and said, I'm just running a crap ton of miles, miles yeah, this yeah. week. And there was a week where I capped it at like 142 miles. Yeah. And my long run at the end of it was one of the best of my life. So I clearly handled that volume yeah. for that phase of time well. I didn't always feel great throughout the week on every run, but I can handle that. The, we don't want to make huge jumps. I've been near that number right. before. Well, because you lived when you hit that, you were, what, 100 miles for yeah. several weeks? Yeah, leading up to that. And I had done a like 115, 120 yeah. not long out. Before. And then I did cut back the following week. But yeah, so I've responded well to that. I've responded well to hills as a workout stimulus more than anything. For me, I find hills. Now, I do believe they work well for a lot of people. In my case, it might be overcoming some of my mechanical deficiencies, some form issues from how my foot strikes, the shape of it, uh, how I kind of curve out. It's yeah. just a product of what my leg looked like at birth yeah. and getting myself disciplined and reinforced in really good form in those efforts up hills has been really valuable for me. You could add strides to that too. Yep. That That's done it as well. And then a, a lot of work somewhere around 10K pace. So if we go back to those zones more where we break into the third zone, but not a lot faster, right. I'm getting breakdown right in my body if I go faster. Turn point, right. That's right. Uh, and then the bigger thing has been for me getting away from a seven-day cycle, at least at times, and stretching it out to allow for more recovery. Mm -hmm which is a variable we'll discuss a little bit more. Look at your past training, both good and bad. Look at your goals. That's where we start. Yep. In that context, Phil, a few things. One, before we move into the specifics, it's important to consider your schedule. Yeah. What your day allows. We all need to be aware of this. What does our day allow and how can we maximize that use? Maximize doesn't mean fit in as much as possible right. every day. It means how can we best and most wisely use that time? Phil, you're a married man with a big boy job That's right. and a child at home yeah. who I've been told occasionally likes to eat. <laughs> well, it gets expensive sometimes. Well, I tell you what, next time you can't handle it, you send her with me to Culver's <laughs> and then we'll go out, we'll park in front of the trophy club and watch the planes uh, take off. That's the vegan buffet to finish. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know how much she'd like that, Travis. She'd like the planes. Absolutely. And the Culver's. That's why we're there. That's right. What does during the average week your yeah. schedule allow yeah. for? So let's just so, quickly get into that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of break down the day in three parts of like, what do I have space for in the morning? What do I have space for at lunch? And then what do I have space for in the evening? Mm -hmm. And just from my experience, the morning time is the most guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, but that also means that, you know, I got to be finished with whatever the work is by like 620 or so. Yeah. Just in terms of. You know, getting home, getting ready for work and getting helping around the house. Lunchtime, I I'm, have some generous time. But, you know, I have about an hour and a half total between when I got when I have responsibilities. But that isn't always sometimes I get spoken for mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I get spoken for at the last minute. And the evenings is, is tough. My little one goes to bed you know, eight consistently, but that's like the end of the day is tough. Usually one day a week, typically Wednesday, we'll go out to dinner somewhere. But that also means that there's a 45 minute to an hour window between the end of work and meeting my wife and the little one for dinner. 
Is Wednesday the free tea day? Free iced tea over at Silver Bay Seafood? Is oh, that where you go on Wednesdays? It or? is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to get seafood. <laughs> no, so so Wednesday I have a little more flexibility to get in maybe up to an hour, let's call it. But as well at the end of the day, like that's the motivation is dragging sometimes. So yeah. I, I think having the accountability helps to be like, yeah, it's like I still gotta get something in. Yeah, from a coaching perspective, you know, honestly, that's the probably most frequent day that something gets planned, but something then gets like just tossed to the side Mm -hmm. just because there's the, you know, I don't feel like it or I got busy or I'm just tired and we don't have to do this kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the, you know, the gist of the week. Okay. Important uh, foundation in not trying to create time that isn't there. Yeah. We're not going to put in a bunch of workouts to take you 90 minutes to two hours yeah. during the week. I might have time for that. Doesn't always mean it's good to do, but I might have time for it. Right. Whereas you don't. So let's not apply what goes from one to another yeah. and work within that structure as best we can. And then the next thing I do in considering that structure now is start to look at that past training and ask myself a couple questions. One, what might be missing to what might be strengths we can build on. Yeah. And three, what are the sneaky little places that we can do the things we're not doing that yeah. really have some value? So as I look through your old training, and this is largely the past few months, but mm-hmm. I, I dug deep into your Strava, Phil. And it's all there. I, I'm very aware <laughs> you are out there and exposed of what you've done for a significant amount of time. And of course, we've discussed these in passing yeah. leading into previous races. Well, I think I sent you probably the last five weeks of training. Yep, you did. Um, and even and that was probably the most consistent block. You know, going back into the fall, you know, I had three longer races, October, November, December. So those races went well, but the training wouldn't reflect what like a normal basic week was sure you know it's a lot of recovering and then tapering kind of stuff between those races so some things that we might be able to consider yeah one is what might be missing a medium long run yep but my immediate response to myself is does he have time for that yeah. given the structure here the answer as i can i'm like <laughs> asking and answering a series <laughs> of questions in this monologue is the time exists most likely only if we move away from going long every weekend. And so then we have to balance, is that best? Well, if the goal is marathoning, it may not be the best move. Right. Okay. So, but it's, it's a variable to consider. We don't see much in the way of a medium long run or even workout sessions that constitute the amount of volume that a medium long run might. Right. A second thing that I do think we can easily add in is some small doses of speed at the end of the quality sessions in particular. Okay. You are disciplined in your workout sessions that we've seen so far and that you're not pressing all out, which I generally agree with. Yeah. Yeah. However, we are getting very little of the highest level turnover. You come on here. (laughs) <laughs> talking strides this strides oh, that this is very much a do as i say not as and i do i'm looking kind of through thing. this guy's <laughs> strava and i'm like when that phil hasn't done a stride since 2007 which no, is, that's not true it's a bit of an exaggeration it's probably 2020 2020 <laughs> all right there's probably a piece of that that's just about the time and effort yeah. and doing it at the end and so my first thought becomes what are the one or two easiest ways we can work those in so these are great for the listeners too yeah. because everybody faces this 
we get to the end of the run and we don't want to do the other things yeah. that might be valuable to us. One is let's continue to do, you're doing a lot of work in up to 10K pace, but more so like half marathon, yeah. 15K pace. Those are great training paces for a marathoner. Let's do that work, then get a short recovery at the end and then hit it with four or six strides. Okay. That's a great way to work on that turnover at the end. The second piece in your case is there's a day during the week that I particularly like on an easy day to add strides, that's your Monday. Okay. Your Monday is consistently a short, like 30-ish yeah. minute recovery run, but you are often going into a session yep. on Tuesday. A Tuesday, yeah. Now we have sneak the strides in on Monday, and we're adding that uh, muscle tension factor yep. for the harder workout the next kind day. kind of priming idea for, that's exactly, for Tuesday. That's yeah. exactly right. We won't always do both, but we will consistently do one or the other every week. Even if it's just four strides on that Monday, on a 30-minute run, we make it at most like 35 minutes, and it's still a really good recovery day. Yeah. It fits into your schedule. I know where you park on Monday <laughs> mornings. And that's my uh, corner. There, at the, I'm upset when somebody's parked there. Bill's Corner, there's a couple good spots around that, even just the turf right down the street yeah. to get some strides in. Yeah, okay. So that's an easy sneak in. Well, let me ask you this. Let's so, do it. Ask it. So we have the typical route that we run, and I, I have an idea what you're going to say, but I think just for the, the listener, please, you know, is that something that can be worked in during the run of say, you know, so it's usually 30 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. Is that something that we can sprinkle in like at 20 minutes, go for 20 seconds or so, continue to run easy for another three to five minutes and toss in four to five like throughout? Or is that something where I should you know, do the usual run and then let's take another five minutes at the end and toss those strides in there. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just do them. Yeah. I yeah. like either. To review on this, there are two typical constructions to strides that I like. One is packing them in the middle, like you just said, and the other is at the end. I tend to prefer at the end in this circumstance because of some of the opportunities for where you could do them. Yeah. And in my running Again, it's just an ease yeah. where I get near some turf near the end of my runs yeah. often. And so that's perfect. Okay, You could still do it in the middle and say, do 15 minutes easy yeah. and then get into the strides and then do 15 minutes easy okay. afterward okay. and call it a run that way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I do like being warmed up. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, if it works on that route mid run that you do and in that day, it's best for you, then Yes. Let's not overthink and overcomplicate. Yeah. If that makes it possible to do it on that day, then change the structure and put yeah. them in the middle. Okay. Next one is your volume. I think this is significant, but it's again, limited by your schedule. Yeah. This is a, a piece of the got to cut the, the lazy days. Right. Not because we just need to get volume for the sake of getting volume on those days, but to make sure that we're not sacrificing valuable right. volume. Right. Those miles might be part of a bigger goal and just skipping them could be taking something out of the schedule that harms the uh, the overall trajectory toward your goal. Well, and I think about like what I did this past week with Wednesday and Thursday kind of being just a wash. I mean, there wasn't really a need to have those down days because I had the recovery day Monday. Mm -hmm. um, and really, it's, I'm too far out for the half to really think of it as a taper. So it's basically like two missed opportunities there. Yeah. Internalize, as you listen, what your volume 
within a micro cycle for you looks like. For most people, that's seven days and that's fine. But we really want to look at how much we get in terms of volume over the whole training cycle. This is why you look back at that past training. Take the average before your last target race. Take the month and then the three months and then the six months before that and see where those averages were. And that's when we get a really good idea of what we have done on volume Mm. within a cycle, within a week, if we want to simplify it that way. And building that over time is valuable. Yeah. There's no question. It is to go back to our episode on monitoring the training load load. and these metrics. It's not the only determinant. But can you evaluate and see, honestly, I'm leaving on the table. I'm running 20 miles a week. But I have the time and the energy and the freedom to go run 40. Yeah. It doesn't mean go out the door and I got to jump into 40 next week. But it does probably mean if you want to be a marathoner, you're going to be most likely more more successful at 40 than at 20. There's a point at which that goes off the edge. But most of us could probably run more who are just casual runners. The tangent off of that that may be more significant in your case is the long run volume specifically. Mm -hmm. I like what you've done with a number of two-hour long runs. What might be missing that's explain some of the struggles in previous marathons is a consistency of occasionally going more and and coming back to it. Like how often are we going to two and a half hours? In your case, given where your goal is for the amount of time that you're going to be running a marathon, I think getting to two and a half hours is valuable. Doesn't mean I want you to do it every weekend. And then the other part to that is what's the composition and structure of that long run? Are we doing quality within that long run? So here is my critique of what we've seen over the past two weeks from you on your long runs in the context of having a half marathon coming up and your long-term goal. What you did is fine. It's not a problem to review back from Phil's training week. His last two long runs have been a large chunk of easy miles and then his inability to do math followed by... (laughs) A segment of miles at close to half marathon effort at the end. What I might consider more valuable in this situation is one of two things. One would be work at half marathon pace earlier in the session before you reach fatigue. Because as we've discussed on here before, learning a skill the first time is done differently than mastering one, which you already do pretty well. Interesting. Right. And sharpening it. Well, yeah. and, and you saying that brings up a comment that we made today. Let's call it an hour in before we started to introduce the, the half marathon effort. And at first it was kind of a struggle to find that pace. Mm-hmm. And then as well, it's like, cool. It's like this, this is half marathon pace. Yeah. Um, and it, it was hard versus thinking about having that done more at the beginning. It would have probably felt much easier, but then also kind of had a little bit more effective practice from a learning perspective for for the long-term growth of that skill yeah it might not be better for this half marathon in a week but for making you better long term it might be the other piece to that phil is you are running a half marathon in a week so if we're trying to work on that and i keep referring to to these as skills because 
I don't think it's really accurate and appropriate to talk about energy systems. Some of that's just too complicated. And yeah. it's not so simple that you, you're you never just using one energy system. And, and there's a whole bunch of metabolic stuff happening. And right. so like this half marathon pace skill, because it's effort, it's pace, it's all those metrics, yeah. right? You're going to get the value of doing that and racing it. You're working on it. And if our goal is long-term marathoning, three consecutive weeks of working on the half marathon skill set within a long run mm-hmm. maybe could be better used by trimming that down to two of the three okay and just keeping one of these long runs focused more on the long term frankly if next week is about just a benchmark this yeah. is for everyone to think about if you're running the greenville half next weekend or if you're running your local half marathon anytime during this training and it's simply a stepping stone you want to run well of course you're giving it an honest effort right. but you're not tapering and this is not the focus maybe it's a couple easy days right before it then what you do a week or two out in those longest runs is really critical to consider in the context of the longer term goal where maybe this week or last week, Phil, you would have been better off getting in one of those two and a half hour easy, even if it's easy long runs. So now we have two other options that could work. What you did the last two is fine. Mm -hmm. You could still keep one of them. You could possibly keep both of them. But other options might be Let's think long-term for what are my goals? What is my past training? Can I handle a two or two and a half hour easy long run? In your case, the answer would be yes. And or would moving some of that half marathon pace work earlier actually help me raise my ceiling rather than just honing that feel for what I'm doing in a week? There's some composition stuff to think about. The last piece with long runs would be the long run placement, the timing within the schedule. Okay. Okay. I bring this up because if we are able to, I'd like to have some flexibility here in moving this between Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. I know the weekend is generally good for you. Yeah. And what I would like to do is, is think about this in Friday morning is often your big Paris mountain climb. Quickly to review for the people who have not run it, just what are we looking at when I describe yeah, climbing so Paris? You know, mileage wise, the whole route's like 5.6. That's um, up and down. Out and, yeah, up and down. It takes usually about 45 minutes. It's about the first, uh, it's a kilometer relatively flat to start. So maybe four to five minutes to warm up. Yeah. Um, then the, the next two, well, I'm bad at math. So two ish miles. Yeah. Um, you're also bad at warming up four to five minutes to warm up. <laughs> oh, yikes. Go ahead. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that's why I need you. Travis. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have you waking up at three to get oh, warm for this mountain. Um, sorry. Go no, ahead. that's fair. So then from there, it's about a thousand foot climb over that two, 2.1 miles. That usually takes about 20, 21 minutes. And okay. it's effort wise. It is medium hard, I would say. Okay. And there's, there's a group of us, so it kind of depends on if somebody's feeling froggy or if somebody's tired. Yeah. So you never really know going in. I want you to call someone out right now. Who is the most likely to turn this into a race? Oh, Scott Murray. Okay, thank you. Any, any day. <laughs> Esteemed professor right. at Furman oh, University. He's is, he is the most likely to he always wants to be get there. After it. He's, he will always be there. He's done that for a decade plus. Okay. At least once a week. He is the most likely to complain about something. <laughs> 
typically physical. Okay. He's sandbagging oh, you, though. 100%, because yeah. his, his strategy is that he kind of lets a handful of us go, and he'll lag back maybe 10 feet or so, Okay. Um, complaining about how bad he feels. And then as we get maybe two-thirds of the way up, as we kind of you know continue to settle into an easy groove, he turns this into a, a race. He, yeah. You know, not a full race. He's subtle about it, but he half steps yeah, it. Yeah, I like that. And as it continues to get turned up, he he doesn't back off. It just he continues to happen. He's step. just boiling that yeah. frog. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So so that's the so the climb's twenty minutes a, a medium hard. You know, occasionally somebody will hammer and you know turn it into a, a, a race from the bottom to the top, but yeah. that's not often. And then it's, it's about twenty minutes total all the way back down. So. You know, again, 45 minutes of effort. You described it as kind of medium hard, yeah. which to me, medium hard is a workout session. Yeah. Plus the eccentric loading that we're getting coming back down yeah. that thing. You have clearly conditioned your body to that by the amount of times you've done it. Right. But it still exists. Right. And it still work. That pounding backed up against the Saturday long run can be dicey with how good the quality can be in the Saturday long run. Yeah. So one of the very few questions I posed to you before this. Oh, this is a painful one. Was Phil. But an honest one. Phil told me Paris Mountain Run is non-negotiable. I'm going out there every Friday. I believe there was a quote with a four-letter word, dot, 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 (laughs) you. I don't know exactly what he said. I'm climbing that mountain. No, I asked, what does non-negotiable yeah. mean? How non-negotiable oh, is non-negotiable? Fair. Because I believe we can hit a sweet spot here where you can reach these goals if we look at Paris Mountain as a regular occurrence, one which during training cycles, competitive phases, we think about maybe every other week. Yeah. It allows you to keep the joy of one of your favorite things in yeah. running. That's such a key piece in individualization. Don't leave the joy. Don't leave the thing you love. If you have a group you love running with, but they do activities in their workouts or their easy days or their long runs that aren't right for you, that doesn't mean never run with them again. It just means have control, be wise, sprinkle it in when most appropriate. Well, and and here's, I I think that's why I I was happy to give you a little bit of ground because I've been doing that for three years now or so. And initially it was like, well, it was when the pandemic. Yeah. No, it was the year before the pandemic yeah, yeah. started. But yep. anyways. It, it, but you you ratcheted up the number during right. the pandemic of yeah. how frequently you um, did it. So it kind of turned into this thing where, you know, at first it was like, oh, this is really good training stimulus because yeah. it it's a really was day. hard. Yeah. yeah. But then it also be kinda, became kind of things like, oh, let's see how many times a year that we can yeah. do this. Well, now you're Edmund Hillary and you're climbing <laughs> that thing all the time and it's no, not I hard think anymore. last year was like 44 times. It, it was a lot. But it, it was... You know, more of the challenge of like, let's just kind of repeat this yeah. over and over again versus this is a really productive session for me to do for my training every week. But you're right. I mean, it, it's there's a great group of us that does it. It's really cool to, you know, the, the sunrise there is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then also just to see the seasons change like through the year on that same route. But even going up the mountain, I mean, in the spring and the fall, you know, you'll start at the bottom and. You know, in the spring, the flowers will be blooming, it'll be greening up, then you get to the top and it's still like winter. Yeah. Um, so it's cool. To, it's a, just a, a really cool route. But, you know, in terms of balancing the you know, kind of the ultimate goals of like, let's get, let's see how much better I can get versus let's just do this 
over and over and over again. There's got there needs to be a little more balance there than is is currently there. It's going to be hard and definitely harder, more difficult to reach your goal if you're going to do that every week. Yeah. I believe we can thread the needle at every other week. Yeah. And find a way to achieve what you want to achieve and maintain that joy in one of your favorite pieces in running. Yeah. What that does with the long run, though, is it shifts how we might look at a week. Interesting. If yep. you're going to do that Friday, we have to decide how valuable that long run is that you're typically doing on a weekend. It may need to go to Sunday. Yeah. All right. If it's just a really easy run and we're just getting time on feet, Saturday might make more sense. It also then shifts our ability to add in work on the opposite Friday. Right. Where we could now get a second session in. Okay. Where it's Tuesday, Friday. Yeah. Because your body is used to that quality work on a so Friday. Paris Mountain Friday, long run Sunday, session Tuesday, session Friday, long run Sunday. Yeah, it, yeah. it could be that kind of construction. It might be that... We go, whether it's Paris Mountain or another workout, you go Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, but Sunday's got some quality in it and we need to wait and, yeah. and not okay. do it Tuesday. Yeah. But that is something to be tinkered with over time based on how you respond. But just think about this, Phil. You just, you told me you did 40 plus times up Paris Mountain last year. That means if you did it every other week from that number, yeah. we have 20 plus more opportunities to work on a skill that you're lacking right yeah. now. Consider that within your training. What is the thing that you are not doing right now that you could possibly do whatever the number is in your life out there 20 times more in the next year? Because we know they're all just one piece of a huge training puzzle. No workout makes or break. That's right. But 20 can. 20 can over time. And over five years, because... When you're individualizing, you need to be thinking about your goals for multiple years. Those are the ones we can achieve. If it's five years down the road, a hundred sessions of work at name the pace, let's say 10K pace work, yeah. that's got some pretty serious adaptations for your body. That to me is a great balancing act that you, if, if you are willing to do, yeah. opens up a lot of space for improvement. Another thing to be conscious of is what we might call the dose response relationship what it takes from a workout to get the adaptation you're looking for and how long you need to recover from that session and also where is the point of diminishing returns within the amount of dose you're taking in a session at which point especially in your case phil given the time that you're working with I did 10 miles of broken, we could call it kind of tempo running, because it really was more about rhythm than any specific pace yesterday. That setup for you might not have the most value. Could you get 90 plus percent of that stimulus with six of those miles and then cut it or with six of those miles and then do strides or do hills and... If we do six of those miles, how many days does it take till we get back to a place where we can do quality work again? This is why I have found success for myself in a nine-ish day cycle, because largely every third day I'm ready to go again. And on the week seven day, I'm forcing myself into doing just one workout in the middle of the week and then either a workout or a long run on the weekend. 
and I'm losing a day right. that way. That's about finding what works for you. And then how big of a dose do you need to get the stimulus adaptation? Right. A lot of your work falls in a range of 20-ish to 30-ish minutes mm -hmm. of the quality within a session. Yes. In general, those are pretty safe spaces to be in. But what we know is if we could slightly increase the volume of that quality without going to the place where it's just diminishing returns, yeah. it probably could have some value. But it's how do we then chunk that to make it possible? I'm asking a lot of questions and a lot of hypotheticals because these are the things everyone needs to think about when they construct this stuff. You'll find out over time and through looking at your past training, has 20 minutes at half marathon pace, broken however, four by five minutes, let's yeah. say, done enough for me to really improve that ability? If so, it might be unnecessary to try to do it for 40 minutes. Could we then shift the stimulus and go to something else, go to perhaps something faster in short chunks? Okay. Or could we just say, let's recover from this and be ready for a next session sooner? I don't necessarily have full answers for you yet, Phil, Yeah. but most of us could look back at our training and find the places we got injured and at the other end, the places we had most success. Mm -hmm. And in the month, two months, three months before that, we would find dose response relationships that were really effective and then other times where we took it over the top Yeah. and we did more than we needed to get the desired adaptation. Phil, questions, thoughts you have at this point for you or just in general no, to broaden the conversation? Particularly with the workouts, with that's kind of commonly what I've settled on with that like 20 to 30 minutes worth of total work because that session usually is like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And, you know, from a framework wise, that's fitting into, you know, probably a 45 to 60 minute run. Yeah. But that's kind of a sweet spot where I've, I've felt healthy. I felt good. That type of work doesn't load me. But I think it's also gotten to the point where maybe I've probably maxed out on the benefit that I'm getting from that. Yeah. But also, I've done that knowing that typically Paris Mountain's coming around Friday, there's a long run Saturday, and I can recover enough to do that kind of work Tuesday or Wednesday. But like, I don't want to push that margin more because then that's come, that same cycle is coming around again yeah. right behind it. See, this is brilliant right now because this is the way everyone listening should be approaching their weekly plan. Yeah. You just said, I may have maxed out what I'm getting out of this, but I can't do much more because of variable A, B, and C that are yeah. down the road that week. So what you're doing is a cost-benefit analysis of, I want to stay healthy to stay consistent. Yeah, That's an important part of how we improve. Well, and, that's a, and I think that's a fair point because my thought process through this is I haven't really had a, a targeted a race since the beginning of October. Um, but even prior to that, it was more like, let's just build and build and build up to that, get to a steady, repeatable week. And I've essentially just been running that since, or honestly, probably for the past nine months, Yeah, you know, give or take. I haven't played with that because my approach to that is like, let's just keep running that for a while and, you know, until that runs out from a progress standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I've had some consistent and really strong races through then. But I don't know if I couldn't be responding better to yeah. you know, something different or a different balance to what I would call, quote, my base week. Basically what I've been running for the past nine months. 
and we never know that without attempting something right. else, right? And then looking back, this is why we look back in the training. But essentially, then there's two other analyses that we need to be running. One is, if I tinkered with those midweek sessions, could I get more response by now changing that stimulus Um, Perhaps it is the amount of time of the interval. Yeah. Perhaps it's the pace. Perhaps I'm layering them, alternating, bouncing around. Then the second analysis is, what's the cost benefit of what I'm doing on the weekend yeah. with climbing Paris Mountain and then going long run, which we've already discussed. Yep. But so now you have kind of three simultaneous experiments we're running on the composition of your week, mm -hmm. maintaining consistency over the course of a cycle, and changing the inputs into our sessions yeah. of what our quality paces look like. We don't necessarily need to work on all three. In fact, uh, doing all three at once may make it harder for anyone to later on determine what variables led to success or failure when he or she evaluates the previous yeah. training block. Doesn't mean you only have to do one of them, though. But we don't know until we tinker with one of them. We also know consistency is really valuable. Yeah. And so now my goal becomes taking what you've laid out, trying to run that cost-benefit analysis and figure where we can make some changes and adaptations and improvements mm -hmm. while maintaining the consistency. Because I believe we can do it in other ways to keep you consistent, to keep you healthy, to keep yeah. you out there, where it's not always weighing, I got to run hard up a mountain but I got to get recovered in time, yes, to be weekend, able to, yeah. to run a good session. And then that adds to another important consideration for everyone, and that is the easy and the off day, which we've touched on already. In general, if you are largely running easy, if that's the, the staple in your running diet, truly easy efforts, yeah. there's not a big need for a lot of off days. We also know the science that the process of running and exposing your body, tendons, ligaments, joints, all that yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. to running impacts, that exposure has value over yeah. time when done in healthy doses. Well, because I've, I've run cycles where you know, I've gone a, a month or two months without having a day off. Mm -hmm. and Or I've tried, I've had cycles where it's like, that's the idea, but then I end up taking a day off here and there. And really, I would feel fine going seven days a week. Yeah. You know, and, and often that, you know, if I'm over that three-week period, if I take a day off, it's more because I well, am lazy than I really need yeah. to, you know, truly need an off day to recover. I like to think about the need for recovery in pure off days in a couple different contexts. We, we realize that many of the East African running groups take Sunday completely off. Yeah. That is in large measure, not just about body recovery, but it is a factor that many of us encounter that is what are the religious obligations yeah. of a day of your week so take that as one consideration two is take into consideration how do you feel mentally for me running is typically a good mental release and where i do a lot of good thinking if you get yourself in a spot where you're run down and you're starting to think about i don't want to get out to run it might be time to take a day yeah. off it's also definitely time to reevaluate what you've done that led up to that. The next is just body health. Like when I'm sick, 
When you're injured, err on the side of just taking the day off. Don't dig yourself into a deeper hole. We have this idea of like fighting through sickness and continuing to run. This is not football. You referenced this watching the Super Bowl earlier. Eric Weddle came out of retirement to play safety for the Los Angeles Rams. He knew he was going back into retirement after the Super Bowl. He had an all-pro career, and he wanted a ring to finish it off. He tore his pectoral muscle yeah. early in the game. Oh, that was a nasty bruise. Nasty, right? <laughs> and he played, he still played through it. Why? Because it's football, and it's a contact collision. Not yeah. contact, but collision sport. And he had one game left in his career. Imagine what that would do for your running career if you knew you were running on a stress fracture or what, whatever it yeah. is. You're taking a huge unnecessary risk. Don't take it. And then the last context that I like to consider the true pure off day is sometimes a physical stacking of really hard stuff condensed. Not necessarily a day right after that, because often just really easy yeah. helps just blood flow and recovery. As an example, anecdotally, Elliot Kipchoge has referenced before he takes long blocks off after a marathon, he'll actually get out for a very short run first yeah. to just kind of get, get things moving, moving yeah. a little bit. But sometimes when we get in these blocks where we chunk more densely, really hard efforts, that might be the place uh, for an off day subsequent at some point. And then adjacent here is how you're using cross training. Mm -hmm. It could be a mechanism to improve aerobic function, of course. And that's part of why I swim. Yeah. But I also enjoy it. And I also know it's less impact on my body and I'm working some different muscles. Uh, but to me, going swimming is not a true day off. I'm still training. Right. A day off is a day off. I, I think if you're going to go to an off day, I want an off day from running to be done on a day where I don't have a bunch of other commitments going on and stresses in my life. Because they're still stressing yeah. me. And see, that's a hard thing for that's folks. That's a tough thing to balance with. They, yes, they say take the day off because I have so much going on and I can't squeeze it in. That's the day where like your 30-minute easy run that you like to do on Monday yeah. is actually best on that day because you're already getting a ton of stress in your life and it's probably going to clear your head some yeah. anyway. Let's take the rest day as a true Sabbath day and get off our feet and get out of our heads and just read a book and cook dinner and yeah. that kind of stuff. When you have that freedom, those are great days to well, totally I, I would take say, off. You know, thinking about what I've done the past, honestly, several years is the majority of off days are things that like, I'm just, I'm, I have a full day. I can't get this in or, you know, yeah. slammed. Gosh, I probably couldn't think of an episode where, you know, I've taken a, like a weekend day. I'm not going to have a workout that day. Yeah, that's that's has always been the time. It's like, OK, now I can get in a little bit more. Right. That's the natural way we think about yeah. it. And I believe that most of the time that's OK and even good. But when you're in the place that, you know, you need some time off, let's not put it on a day that is so much stress on our body that we don't gain anything yeah. from that. The other thing with with like the off days and with, you know, you mentioned earlier running being a time to clear your head. I think that's one thing that I'm excited about getting a little bit of help with coaching because I mean, to a degree running is part of, I mean, it's something I love, but a little bit of it has to do with what I do at work in the clinic. Yeah. 
thinking about these kind of processes and building training programs is almost something that just runs in the background of my head constantly. Even to the degree where on these easy runs, yes, there's a component of let's go out and enjoy just being outside for 30, 40 minutes. But still in the background, there's like, well, what workout should I do tomorrow? What should I, you know, what did I do yesterday? Is this ideal for my recovery? You know, if I run four miles and this is what I do the rest of the week, then I'll have, you know, X amount of mileage versus, if, you know, I could go six miles and at the end of the week, I'll have X plus two amount of mileage. Yeah. Now almost like outsourcing that to where it's like, you know, this is what's on the schedule. This is what's on the calendar. Go out and run. If it's, you know, an easy 40 minutes, just start and stop the watch, but don't think about the greater context of how does this fit and what I'm trying to build. You know, that's that's your job now. Yeah, it takes one set of thoughts out of your mind yeah. that you can free up to do other things and allowing someone who equally enjoys thinking about those things to do it as part of his job. Yeah, yeah. Right? That it serves both purposes. It serves both of us yeah. well. We would love to hear if you have questions about your particular circumstance where you're struggling with figuring out how to take all these variables we just mentioned and individualize into your training process. Secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Happy to share our answers with you, but also maybe there are things we could share here for the benefit of everyone else. Phil and I are going to move forward from this now with starting a training plan as we set him up for about three months from now for his marathon. My belief is Phil is in a position that he can achieve his ultimate goal. It's going to be challenging this time, but distance running, as we've said, is a long-term endeavor. If Phil is locked into, I got to hit this goal in May, or I'm quitting the sport, I would respond to Phil by saying, find somebody else to work (laughs) with, because that's not not the goal. It's not the guarantee, and it's not the type of mindset that either of us need to have if we want to be our best. Right. We're going to follow along. We're going to check in occasionally and we'll see Phil's growth along the way. And then we'll hold me accountable (laughs) to see how this goes. See what kind of results we get. Hire you somebody better if we need to. All right. Broken and (laughs) (laughs) career ending injury on the horizon here. That's okay though. Gives you more time to hit that vegan buffet at the trophy club with Dino. Enjoy those planes coming in. Yeah, that's right. All right, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you again next time on mile 109 of Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon.